Welcome to the Hello and welcome and action. Welcome to Back of a Napkin, a podcast that spreads curiosity and inquisitive thinking. We're your co-hosts, Rebecca and Bonnie, and on each episode, we ask a new question. The circular economy has seen a significant increase in interest over the past few years and is continuing to gain steady momentum. With this surge in popularity, many mention the term circular economy without really explaining what it means. I would say circular economy is just a way of living that, you know, nothing is wasted, there is no waste created, and everything we use is valued, has a purpose, and can be recycled into another product at its end of life. We take resources from the ground to make products, which we use, and when we no longer want them, throw them away. This is known as a linear economy. Make take waste, but to ensure that in the future there are enough raw materials for food, shelter, heating, and other necessities, our economy needs to transition to one that is circular. In today's episode, we'll be speaking to two companies who implement this economic model. My name is Nikki. So I currently work at Chop Value as the office manager and uh, working a lot with the order fulfillment side, so packaging orders. Um, using the laser engraver for custom designs. Um, But I'm actually currently transitioning to more of an operations and sustainability lead role as well. Why I really joined Chop Value, I guess, is because my interests really lie in just how can we be better, you know, as the human population? How can we live later with reducing our impact? So whether that's purchasing recycled products or buying less stuff or supporting local, I think that every single thing we do has an impact in the world. And often that impact may be felt millions of kilometers away and not actually local to where we are. So my name is Mark Wandler. I'm co-founder and CEO of Sustainable Health Foods, Inc., where we basically, in a couple seconds, we turn beer waste into premium baked goods. As budding entrepreneurial ventures, how did these companies first get started? There are seven of us who started the project at UBC. One student came from the beer industry and just saw the sheer amount of spent grain that was being produced in Vancouver because he worked uh, the craft brewery scene in Vancouver is fairly collaborative. And so everybody was kind of stemming from the same problem. Uh, Typically in rural microbreweries, they can give the spent grain to animals and get it to them in time where it ends up being animal feed. But when we talk about urban breweries, farmers can't get into the city. There's a lot of logistical problems and it spoils before they can get it. On the other side, you had me, who was coming from a kinesiology slash exercise nutrition background. And I actually worked um, partially as a diabetic educator in one of my jobs. And we just, we know that there's two, two parts of that problem. One is they consume too much sugar and they don't get enough fiber. So when I saw this product and saw what was happening and basically all the sugars going into the beer, all the fibers left behind it was basically a no-brainer that this could be eventually uh, geared towards a diabetic-friendly diet. Um, The project started in a tech entrepreneurship class, and then I really, I started playing with it, but then I also took a sustainability and innovation class. 
which talked about the circular economy. And that's when I really started gravitating towards that term in terms of what we're doing with this business. Um, and a big part of what we do is upcycling, which is a major component of the circular economy. So it's basically creating value out of something that previously didn't have value or had lower value. And that's exactly what we're doing with spent grain, basically. We call it upcycled barley flour once we're done um, processing it, but we just rapidly dehydrate it, mill it into a flour, and create a shelf-stable product that's both better for people and better for the environment. Chop value, it actually, it's an interesting story how it began. So Felix, the CEO and founder, he is a German wood engineer. And so he was here in Vancouver to pursue his PhD in structural bamboo materials. And through his research um, and just time being here in Vancouver, he realized how resource inefficient we were here, even though you know, Vancouver claims that we're the greenest city in the world or that we're working towards being the greenest city in the world. Um, he didn't think that was actually true. And so during his research, he saw a lot of wood waste in the landfills that he'd never seen before. He wanted to implement new strategies on how to reduce this wood waste, but you know, without any success. So all this frustration led him to one sushi dinner with his girlfriend at the time, where he was just so frustrated that, that nothing was being done and that all of our resources here are being used so inefficiently. And so they were looking at the chopsticks that they were using you know, while eating sushi, and, and his girlfriend thought, you know, why don't you take something as simple as a chopstick? You know, there's so many chopsticks here in Vancouver, you know, do something about it. And so that's where that frustration turned into um, an idea just over a sushi dinner. And what type of impact are they seeing in the community? You know, we've recycled over 25 million chopsticks locally here, but I think our impact is actually through the thought leadership that we create. So, you know, Felix's motivation at the beginning was to bring awareness of how inefficient we are with our resources here in Vancouver. And if we can redefine the term waste to resources through a single chopstick, then, you know, what else is there out there? I think the bigger impact is not just actually recycling these single chopsticks, but it's actually made through the thought leadership in the circular economy space. And so um, whether that's sharing our story through panel discussions, conferences, podcasts, or other events, we try to inspire others to think about how size doesn't matter if you want to lead change. And just to start viewing everything around you not as waste, but as a valuable resource and make circular economy the norm, not the exception. Food security, which is a measure of the food availability and ease of access to individuals, is a major issue that affects all aspects of the agri-food system. We wanted to learn from Mark and Nikki about how their companies are working towards mitigating this problem. The only thing harder to do than start something up from scratch is make something switch directions completely. So think of a car going and then you, you're at a standstill. The, the most energy that it takes is to kind of start that car rolling. But if you have to stop it completely and turn it in the other direction, that's also going to take way more energy and efforts. So that's why you often see the innovation with the newer companies, the younger companies, and bigger companies may look to acquire them to bring on that, that technical expertise and stuff like that. Um, but you really see the beginning stages all with, uh, within startups. How have their companies leveraged technology to their advantage? Technology is really integral to our process. So our process is really based on technology. From the moment that we collect chopsticks, we use a lot of custom machinery that 
has required a lot of research and development to get to where it is today. So even um, after the chopsticks are collected, we dump them into our sorting table, which we've had to custom design and it, it shakes back and forth to align the chopsticks um, in neat little rows. And then from there, we put the, the chopsticks, we dip it into a water-based resin, which is acts like a glue, a, a binding agent. And from there, we put them onto trays, which go into our dryer. So that dryer, we also had to use a lot of R&D to make sure we can use the most optimal temperature and the right drying time to make sure that the, the raw material comes out the way that we want it to. Um, and after the chopsticks are dried, they get put into our hydraulic press, which was also custom designed in-house. So technology is definitely used a lot within our process. And in sustainable. But we've actually done a lot of work behind the scenes since COVID hit. Going to be automating a lot of things. And then the biggest technology we've, we've uh, tapped into is de uh, dehydration technology. The first stage, I guess, the first year in business was all about coming up with the product, making sure we had something edible, making sure it tasted good. Because uh, in food business, if your product doesn't taste good, then you're not going to have repeat buyers. People aren't going to keep buying it. So... That was the first step. We kind of knocked that off. And now the biggest second step is convenience. So we need to bring a more convenient approach, both offline and online. And that's where we're really leveraging technology to automate some things and moving more into the online world for our marketing as well. With the spread of the coronavirus, there is a need for local businesses to redirect their goals and direction. The first thing we did was we went to market and we had a very aggressive first year. And that was just to get noticed. So we hit the farmer's market scene. We got into as many locations as we could. We went all the way up to Squamish, but also did some uh, events on Granville Island. And whenever we had a chance to get in front of the media or any podcasts like this, we always take advantage of that opportunity. So in doing so, the word got around. I got to say one of the biggest things that we have going for us is our name. Uh, a lot of people find it catchy. Once they say it, it's very unique. It, it enables a very good SEO. If you search sustainable, we're going to be the first 20 hits. So yeah, so both online and offline, we've gained some traction. And we're just trying to keep that momentum moving forward. Uh, which we were doing great until COVID hit. And now we're just like everybody else trying to find our footing and our bearing and redirect where we want to go. Considering the current health crisis, how have the sustainability goals of the company shifted? Well, I think with COVID, we're getting a little intermission in terms of sustainability. So we're seeing a lot of single-use items being used again, which is reviving that conversation but the biggest thing you're also seeing is all the businesses are looking at their costs. So they're taking a really strategic approach to everything. And so they're going to be looking at where there's the biggest losses. Um, it's a great opportunity for smaller companies to approach bigger companies to work together and seeing that collaboration. So I think it's too early to tell how fast it'll take off, but I think we're going to see a big sustainability push in 2021. Now, based on the balance of health and sustainability, we feel like we do have to go towards a package goods, but it's, it's all about a timeline. It's all about how we communicate it. And we did 18 months of research into packaging. So we've, we've kind of come up with the most sustainable solution for now. And then we also plan to push 
boundaries going forward to get away from it and push more of the circular economy. Um, but we feel we just need to team. We're too small to take on both packaging and food waste. So we're going to take on food waste and we're going to always gear our first. We're always going to make available first. Anybody who's doing a circular economy thing like NADA or uh, jar delivery or fulfill shop, we'll focus and make sure we have product for them first before putting it into any packaging. And for chop value? I think it's actually quite sad because I, we were on, you know, quite a good trajectory of, of you know, bringing our own containers and bringing our own mugs. And, and a lot of people were very starting to become a lot more conscious with their takeout waste. And then as soon as COVID hit, it seems like, you know, stores were just taking that as an opportunity, I think, to start using plastic again and, and removing those policies. So it's we've definitely seen a, a rise in disposable garbage and and take out and and I'm even a you know a victim myself to it because now I'm not really bringing my own mugs or containers and and so I'm definitely creating a lot more waste as well. Given an opportunity what are some ways that Nikki would remodel the economy? I think the biggest source of waste in the food and beverage industry is the takeout containers and also the packaging used to transport a lot of the ingredients for the restaurants so I think if we can just have a mindset shift in in how we go about taking out or or with whether takeout is even necessary because I think takeout came about from you know such a fast-paced busy environment and a lot of pressure to be quick and efficient and and not having that time to actually sit down dine in and so if if that necessity for convenience wasn't there we wouldn't be taking out so much food and creating all that disposable waste. The pandemic has also created space for more creative projects to develop at Chop Value. One thing that we've actually even found as an example is we, because of the loss of revenue, which our team is trying to get creative and innovative and in, in what other products can we provide, right? So we, we thought maybe we can make hand sanitizing dispensers. So we started building those, um, you know, with the backboard and the base is made of our material, but then we source the dispenser itself from... Um, from China for our first prototype. But even through that, we realized that, you know, it takes a long time for the dispensers to come. A lot of times they're faulty. We can't control the quality of the dispensers. And so now for our second iteration of this prototype, we're working with a local 3D printing company and they make the dispenser itself like in-house. So now everything from, you know, the, the entire sanitization dispenser is made locally. Innovation and creativity have come to be known as a powerful combination of the pandemic. What and where are some sources of inspiration that their companies have looked towards for new ideas? Oh man, I get them from everywhere. So my background is in both in healthcare and the airline industry. So a lot of my logistics of what I envision is a circular economy can make an economy a little bit more local and a little bit more resilient. So whereas We'll have advisors who've built big companies say, oh, we got to create like a massive facility. And I'm like, I really like what Chop Value's trying to do. And they're trying to create micro factory approach. And that's what we want to do as well. Um, there's breweries in every urban environment in North America. So there's no point in creating a massive facility here to just ship product as opposed to creating smaller facilities and creating opportunity where the product's going to be most beneficial. That also allows us to 
collaborate with community partners. I find the nonprofit scene is a lot more collaborative, but we also we get inspired by what Nada's doing. Some people do have some really good marketing, which we try and tap into. Yeah, we've done a collaboration with like Bucha Brew in terms of gut health. Yeah, there's all kinds of collaborations that can be done. You just got to kind of think them through and do them consciously. And for chop value? We do get a lot of inspiration from the other companies that we work with and they bring their own ideas of what they would like to see. But I think in terms of just inspiration for the impact that we want to make, it's, it's really just we always try to think in the bigger picture and how we can make the most impact globally. Um, so that's where the inspiration grew to develop our distributed manufacturing microfactory franchise concept. Sorry, that's a mouthful. And so this idea is just to bring microfactories to all cities around the world. And each city would have their own microfactory where they collect local chopsticks, manufacture locally and sell back to their local market. And this way we can actually create local impact, but on a global scale. to know how Mark and Nikki would remodel the food and drinks industry. Is it possible to improve its carbon footprint? I think the number one thing that people need to do is we need to learn to collaborate a little bit more. Um, people get really focused on making their thing work. And I think anybody working within the circular economy, like three or four different companies with similar visions but slightly different products can all team up and do it together to share those resources share the cost of creating that awareness and education component it's usually the most expensive stage of everything and we're we're at a peak where people are interested in it and they're willing to listen so i think coming together and working together more is the biggest thing that's going to make this happen every single day since the pandemic has hit we've been working hard each day, we've been in operations, and we're producing as normal. We definitely did see a drop in revenue during uh, March and April and May, but you know we're definitely building back up and we're actually seeing a growth in revenue now because a lot of companies are realizing that through this pandemic, there's a lot of delays you know, through the supply chain and sourcing internationally, and by sourcing local, um, you can actually eliminate a lot of those delays in the supply chain. So we've seen a lot more companies coming out to us because they're wanting to support local and source all of their products locally. As we continue to explore new models and ways to structure the food and drinks industry, is there hope for a more sustainable future? Yeah, so an interesting thing that's coming about is um, Canada in general is starting to look at food transparency a little bit more. So knowing exactly where your food is coming from um, really lets you know how sustainable it is. So if, if we're constantly eating food that's coming from the other side of the world, it's not super sustainable. Especially during a season like the summer seasons in Canada, we can produce our own food and we should be eating more locally. I think the biggest thing as Canadians we need to start talking about is how much money we spend on our food versus other things. So we seem to be very willing to spend money on um, overspending on our accommodations and on technology, but we're not willing to spend as much on good food and creating a sustainable food system. They need to also pay their bills. Like farmers are constantly being, their land is under attack almost. We have some really good land here in Vancouver for growing stuff, 
but it's also somewhere that everybody wants to live. So that agricultural land is in demand and they, we need to keep some of it for our food. Those are some of the major concerns. What we're doing is pretty innovative, but I think it's the reason we're doing it is because of the story behind it. It gets a lot of attention. It gets people talking and it's going to allow a lot of those other businesses to really showcase their talents as well. So that's one of the things we're hoping to achieve behind what we're doing and the story behind it. If you're interested in learning more about sustainable or chop values work, you can find the information in the description box. Thank you to Sustainable for providing a discount code for this episode. Use the code BONE20 for 20% off your online order of bakery items at sustainable.com. Thank you for listening. If you like this content, visit our blog at backofanapkin.org.